0: We're going to be continuing in our study through uh, the book of Matthew. We got up to Matthew chapter 16, which is almost in the middle. I think it's fitting because this is a pivotal pivotal chapter in this book. Really, the book of Matthew is a, is a book about the kingdom. And we've seen that throughout uh, our study. We've seen in the first chapter... Uh, how that we see the, the genealogy of Jesus not only was he the son of Abraham but he's the son of David you see the Jews knew and they fully expected that the Messiah would come from the Lion of David and we know how important it is now. We have Jesus the King sitting in his throne on heaven. He had to be of this kingly line. And then we see in the second chapter, we see the birth of the kingdom. And we see the Magi coming and saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? You see, while the Jews didn't recognize it, these wise men from the East recognized that there was a king and he was to be born in Bethlehem. Then we see John the Baptist, the herald of the king, the one who was sent to prepare the way of the Lord, to make his path straight. And he preached, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We know that something is at hand, it's handy, it's close by, it's near, and that's what he preached. And then we see in the fourth chapter, we see Jesus starting his ministry, first of all, with him defeating the temptations of Satan, and then selecting his uh, disciples, and then him himself preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And everything's getting ready for the kingdom to appear. And then we get the Sermon on the Mount in chapters uh, 5, 6, and 7, where we have the inaugural address of the king. And we see all the, the principles of the kingdom preached there. How that this is not an earthly kingdom to be followed in earthly ways, Uh, As the Jews were seeking to do, they were taking spiritual laws and making them very earthly. And we'll see that in this this chapter that we're studying. But Jesus said, no, no. You see, my kingdom is not of this earth. He said that we have to serve from the heart because that's where the kingdom is. And so we get to uh, Matthew chapter 16. And we see so many things here that are so important to us. And we see uh, uh, repetitions of themes that we've already seen through this book. And we see how the Pharisees and the Sadducees, from the very beginning, they were jealous and they despised Jesus and they wanted to defeat him. They wanted to cause him to stumble and fall. They wanted ammunition so that they could accuse him. And so we see in verse one, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked for him to show them a sign from heaven. Really, how many signs did Jesus need to show? You know, we, as we study through from, uh, from the 8th the, the chapter of, uh, of Matthew, right through this, it's filled with these signs proving that Jesus had the power over sickness. He had the power over the demons. He had the power over the elements. He has the power, but yet they seek more more signs. Now, this isn't because they didn't know or understand who Jesus is. You remember when Nicodemus came to him, a Pharisee from the Sanhedrin council, and this is what he said uh, in John 3, verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you have come from God As a teacher, for no one can do these signs unless God is with them. You see, they knew, but you see, he was not the Messiah that they wanted. You see, they were there under the the, the thumb, under the heel of the Roman Empire. And they wanted to be freed of that. They wanted a a king to ride into Jerusalem just as as David would have done, riding on a great white horse with a sword in his hand and a myriad of army behind him to come and throw out the Roman Empire. And here we see a man of peace, a man who went to, to sinners and tax gatherers, a man who showed love The Pharisees didn't want love. They couldn't use love. They could use a sword. Now, they didn't want to rise up. They didn't want to rise up and defeat the the Romans, but they wanted the king to do that. And that's the Messiah that they saw. So they continually asked for a sign. Uh, Now, uh, Jesus has already mentioned this very sign before. Notice what he says. He says, when, evening, when it is evening, you say it is fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you, not know, uh, do you know how to discern the appearance of the skies, but cannot discern the appearance of the time? I've given you the signs that you need. If you opened your eyes, you could see. You wouldn't need any more, because I've shown you. And then he gives an even adulterous generation. Seek after a sign and no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Go back a couple of chapters to um, uh, chapter 12, verses 38 uh, to 40. Then some of the the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered them and said, an evil and an adulterous generation craves for a sign, yet no sign will be given but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. <laughs> they had already been told this. They'd already been shown what the sign would be. And you know what? These people recognized it and they remembered it. Remember after Jesus' horrible death and he was buried in the tomb. Remember what they said to to, to Pilate. It's recorded in Matthew 27, starting in verse 62. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, so we remember that when he was alive, uh, uh, the deceiver said, after three days I am to rise again. And then they begged for Pilate to allow the soldiers become, to guard the tomb. <laughs> Little good that that did. But the point is, Jesus told them, no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. After Christ's death, they remembered that and they sought through their physical strength, through the strength of the Roman Empire, the ones they want out. They wanted to prevent the sign of Jonah. How foolish these people were. Uh, Of course, Jesus gave us all this wonderful sign forever when he was resurrected early on the first day of the week. There can be no doubt. There is, no one was with an excuse now to disbelieve Jesus. And so then they went on their way. They were, they were uh, gone to the other side of the sea and Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now you gotta love these, these disciples. You know, sometimes when we stumble and we fall and we say foolish things and we make mistakes, we go, oh, this is terrible. What am I doing? Well, these great men, and they really were great, who were willing to die for their faith early on, they were sometimes not the brightest penny in the bunch. They were, they, and they were thinking, well, well, he's talking about we haven't brought any bread course, he wasn't talking about that they were doing the very thing that Jesus is warning them about he, he, he tells them you know you've got to be aware of the leaven of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they, they don't understand is, don't understand is it uh, don't understand about it verse 11 he says How is it that you don't understand that I was not speaking to you concerning the bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not say, be aware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, leaven is mentioned many times in the Bible. Many times, it's talking about sin. But specifically now, it's not talking about sin. It's talking about their teaching. And, and you see, their teaching was, had already creeped into the thinking of the disciples. And he said, beware of that. And that was thinking in a, a worldly nature. We need to be thinking in a spiritual nature. And this is a spiritual lesson that Jesus has given. Leaven is something that when it enters in, it fills the whole. We need to think about that. That's what leaven is now. Of course, sin it often talks about sin. That's what it does. If if you let sin into your life, it's not a case that you go, go, okay, well, I'll let this little sin in," because and, 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 I'm strong uh, and I can withstand it. No, you've got to clean out that leaven. That's what we uh, what we read. Uh, in John chapter 6, actually after one of the, the, um, the feeding of the multitudes, John 6, uh, 26 and 27. Uh, truly, uh, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food which perishes, but food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father has set his seal we need to be focusing Now we need we need to if if we're following the teachings of the pharisees and the sadducees and thinking you know what's this life got for me we need to stop and 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 realize we need to work for eternal life that's where our heart needs to be that's where our treasure needs to be that's where our focus needs to be now the bible doesn't say we have to stop doing physical work in fact tells us the opposite. We need to work hard to supply for our families and have enough to give to those who are in need. That's our job we have to do. But overarching that, we need to put God first. That's part of his commandments, but we need to be seeking our eternal kingdom. You know, we are strangers and aliens in this land, so we need to look to our home not to the place where we're residing now. And this is where the Pharisees really fell down time and time again. Then we get this wonderful passage right in the middle of the chapter, starting in verse 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? You know, there there were thousands of people gathering around after Jesus. And so I think this is a, a really good point to say, okay, where, where, is, where is the mindset of these people? We can't ask them, but Jesus asks the disciples who have been around, they've got friends in the crowd, they've been talking to people. Okay, they may not say it to me, they may just call me Lord, but, but who, who are they thinking I am? I don't think Jesus was unaware but he wanted to bring this out to the apostles, and so they thought it was just some some prophet. Now that's kind of uh, down-putting, but they were thinking that this great prophet, John the Baptist, Elijah, or Jeremiah, or, or another one of the prophets who have risen from the dead. You know, I think what we need to understand is that today people are in exactly the same position. They do not understand who Jesus is there are people that talk about the baby Jesus and you know on the December the 25th that man-made day they focus on this little child well the bible doesn't focus on that or they focus on Jesus uh, full of love and peace now he is of course but he's so much more than that they think of Jesus the meek we need to think of Jesus the loving King, our forgiving Master, our merciful Lord. Jesus is much more than just this one-dimensional being. He is so multifaceted, and we need to realize this. And the idea of this lesson is building on this whole kingdom that we've been reading about through this book. And we recognize just who he is in this very next statement. So the apostles know what the people are thinking. But Jesus now changes and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter, of course it's Peter, it's always Peter. He's going to step up. And we love that about him What a wonderful example for us. He was willing to stand up and say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, we need to understand what he's saying when he's saying the Christ. Now this Christ is the Greek translation of Messiah. So whenever we read Christ, we need to think of Messiah. Whenever we read Messiah, we need to think about Christ. In Easton's Bible Dictionary, uh, we read this. Messiah, in all the 39 instances of it occurring in the Old Testament, it is rendered by the subjugant Christos. It means anointed. Thus, priests, prophets, and kings were anointed with oil and so consecrated to their respective offices. We understand that. The great Messiah is anointed above his fellows, i.e., he embraces in himself all three offices. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is prophet, priest, and king. See, this is a kingdom statement when they say, Jesus, you are the Christ. You know, sometimes it rolls off our tongue. Jesus Christ, like Jesus is his surname. Christ uh, is, his, is his given name. Christ is his surname. That is his title. He is the Messiah. He is the one sent by God. The one promised by God to come and free us from our sins. He is our great High Priest who pleads to God for us on our behalf. He is the prophet. He is the one that gives us all truth. And he is king. He is ruling. And we read that he has all power, both in heaven and on earth. He has all authority. This is Jesus. Now, this is what Peter's saying, but he goes on, of course. He says, you are the son of the living God. Now, we need to recognize just what that is. Peter is speaking to this man, Jesus, who he knows his background. He's met his mother. He knows his uh, Jesus family. He knows that he's lived the, the life of a man. He knows that he's a Messiah. But he knows that he also is deity as well. Because he shares the same nature as his father. And we know that. John 1 verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that is come into being. Jesus is deity, now it just blows my mind when Peter who knew this man intimately had lived with him for a number of years and seen all that he had done and because of that he realized that i am a man you are the son of God and what a wonderful thing that is that this this confession that that he gave J.W. McGarvey, in his Fourfold Gospel, said this, People assert this as an assured fact and not as a mere opinion. This confession embraces two positions. The office of Jesus, the Christ. The divinity of Jesus, the Son of God. The Christhood of Jesus implies his humanity, for as such he was to be the Son of David. It also identifies him as the hero or subject of prophecy, the long expected deliverer. In declaring Jesus to be the son of God, Peter rose above the popular theories as to the personality of messiah for the jews generally did not expect him to be divine the term living god was used by the prophets to express the contrast between the dead idols and the supreme being who possessed the vitali- uh, who is possessed of vitality reason and feeling yes jesus is the son of God, and he gave this good confession. And we see it here, we can see that Peter was the first one to gave, give this good confession. Martha, just before Lazarus was raised, she says and shows this great faith, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In, when the Ethiopian eunuch, just before he was baptized, he said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he was baptized. And then in uh, Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verses 12 to 13. Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life with which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Throughout the New Testament, we see this good confession. You see, Pilate knew who Jesus was. And we're reminded in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I too will confess him before my Father who is heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is heaven. So after this great confession of his faith, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon by Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You know, in this phrase, Jesus says, Yes, you were right. But not in the way of men who kind of say, Yeah, (laughs) that's who I am. You got it right. Jesus, of course, is so humble and so true to what I want you to notice this play on words here. Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah means the son of Jonah. Now, whenever you read through uh, the New Testament and you get these names, what seem like surnames, really, they're, they're, they're explaining who their father was. Uh, and we, we get that in, I was going to say modern name naming, uh, like the name MacDonald. This is not so modern, but that, originally meant the son of Donald, MacDonald. Uh, and so that's, my, somewhere in my family, there was a Donald somewhere, because I'm a MacDonald. Uh, but so whenever you see Bar, whatever, and so when you see Bartimus, or Basabus or Barnabas, you know who their father is. Now, Jesus knew Peter's father. He knew he was Simon. Uh, Jonah, rather, uh, Simon Peter. It's confusing, all these names. He knew that, that Simon's father was Jonah, by Jonah. He says, blessed are you, Simon by Jonah. I know who your father is, and therefore I know where you come from. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven, Jesus accepted that God was his father. Therefore, he accepted that he himself was deity. Uh, And so we go on. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Once again, we get another verse with a play on words, which... If we're not careful, we can miss it in our English, but it doesn't take an awful lot of study to do it. We recognize that there's a play on words here. Peter, his name was Simon, okay? Simon Peter. But Jesus gave him the name early on, long before this. He says, you're Peter, and that means a stone. And that's what Peter was like. Think about his character. He was solid, you know? He, he could not be, be uh, well, he could be chipped off, but he was like a stone. He says, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Well, this other one, the Petra, this is the bedrock something that you would build on. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, of course, Jesus says the wise man is the one who hears Jesus' words and acts upon them. He'd be like that man who built his house on the rock. And that's what he says. What you have said, this is the rock. Of course, Peter was not the, uh, the rock that the church was built on. Peter was just a mere man, a good man, but he was a sinner. In fact, in this very same chapter, notice what we read uh, in verse 21. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Jesus had mentioned this many times. But the, the, the disciples, it just didn't seem possible. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. This cannot happen. And finally, Peter, Peter, of course, he puts into words what I'm sure was in their heart. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Notice what Jesus says. And he turned and said to him, said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block from me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. He's gone back to the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's thinking in a worldly manner, but get behind me, Satan. You see, no, Peter was not what the church was built on. The church was built on what he said. You are the Christ the son of the living God. And we need to recognize that. Peter was a man, a good man, but only a man. What shaky foundations that would be. No, the church was not built on Peter, but on Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And so we go on and we see these phrases. Jesus says, I will build my church. We need to notice three things about this. First of all, that Jesus is the builder. Secondly, we need to recognize that what Jesus was building was his church. No one else's. It was his church. And thirdly, we need to see that he was building a church. The word here is used in the singular and when we put these three th- three things together we recognize that jesus was the builder that jesus owned the church he bought the church with his blood It is no one else's church and he was only ever going to build one church now today we see a different picture we see a myriad of churches. I don't know how many thousands, I don't know even if you could count them. And I I say that because I've seen it in Tanzania. They spring up like mushrooms and they have all different names and they're started by the apostle whoever or the prophet whoever, by men. And this is happening all over the world. Thousands of different churches that are built by men are owned by men and they have men's names. But we don't need to worry about that. When I study with people about this, I say, well, let, let's, let's not get confused by the denominations. Let's clear them all off of the table and just see what the Bible says about it. The church is Jesus' church, it has his name on it because he bought it with his blood and he only ever built one church. Any church that is built by anyone else but Jesus, built later than when the church of the New Testament was built and is more than the New Testament church, is not the church of the Bible, it's the church of men. And notice the last thing he says, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Hades is the realm of the dead. Notice what he said just a few chapters back in Matthew chapter 11, verse 23, just after the apostles came back from from preaching to these areas. And and to you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, but if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. You notice the contrast here between heaven and Hades. It's the realm of the dead. Uh, In the, the, the passage about the rich man and Lazarus, we read about the rich man in uh, Luke 16, verse 23. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away in Lazarus' bosom. So we can see this is the realm of the dead. What he's saying here in this passage is that the church will never die. Now, people are confused because they look in the history books and they say, Church of Christ? Where's the Church of Christ? In the history books, well, you know, it says history is written by the victors. Now, the, the Church has never been strong and powerful in a worldly sense. The Church of Christ members don't write history books, and so they're not there. I think about it. In if the Lord permits time in two hundred, three, four, a thousand years' time, do you think? anywhere, anyone will ever know about the Church of Christ in Armidale. They hardly know about us here, now. And so that's, I, I, that's what we've told and We can trust that because Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He says his church will be built. I will build my church and it will never die. And so too it is. And so too it continues. And we're so thankful for that. And then notice, we get this change, and, and he makes it very clear for us because he, we see this, this connection between the church. This passage that we've been reading is the very first place this word is used. Very first place. It says, I will build my church. And then he goes on, I will give you the keys to the kingdom in heaven, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So we know what keys are used for. You know, keys are used to unlock and open. And that's just what the keys of the kingdom of heaven, it isn't some foolish thing that you see in the cartoon of St. Peter in heaven and there's gates in heaven and he has to open them to let individuals in. That's That's just foolishness. But this is what it is. Peter was given the keys to open the church, and we see that. Uh, If we go over to the book of Acts, we see on the day of Pentecost, Peter used the keys, he preached this sermon, and he convicted the hearts of these Jewish people, and they said, men and brethren, what must we do? Notice, then Peter said to them, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Going down to verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. What were they added to? Verse 47 from the New King James Version. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Matthew chapter 16 is the first time we read about the church in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2 is the first time we read about the church being in existence and people being added to the church. And isn't it fitting, Jesus the builder, Jesus is the owner, the church is his, that the Lord Jesus adds those into the church, those who are saved. That's the first time uh, Peter used these keys that he had. But it's... Not the only time. In Acts chapter 10, we read about him. Remember the household of Cornelius. Uh, all the visions and everything that happened there. But we read in verses 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteously accepted by him. Going down to verse 47 after the, the, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Peter says, Can anyone forbid water that they should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? Well, you know, this caused a great deal of uh, trouble the church in Jerusalem. They had thought that Christianity was just the same as Judaism and there was just a small group of people, just just the, 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 uh, the, the children of Abraham. They were the one, they're the only ones in the kingdom. No, this was God's sign. The keys of the kingdom were, open, uh, were used to open up the church for the Gentiles. So Peter goes back to Jerusalem. We read about it in the next chapter. And they, they, they have trouble with him. And then he explains to them, step by step all that god has done through his hands and so they said when they heard these things they became silent and they glorified god saying then god has also granted to the gentiles their repentance to life that's how we can be in But peter was told i will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And that's not talking about like a papal edict. This is because the apostle was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Whatever he spoke came from God. And now we have it in the New Testament because we know we have all truth. Now in Daniel chapter 2, we read about this prophecy about the kingdom. We don't have time to go into this uh, in any detail, but we can see this statue and in the picture there we have, we can see it. The head of gold, the breasts and arm of silver, the belly and thighs of bronze, the legs, legs of iron, and the feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now we read in Daniel 2 verses 44 and 45, in the days of these kings, now the kings that we're talking about here are these last kings just here. In the days of these kings, uh, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left to another people. It will be crushed, uh, It will crush and put an end to all those kingdoms, but it himself will endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it, was, and it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and uh, the interpretation is trustworthy. This stone that was cut without hands would grow to be a great mountain. This is the kingdom. And even in this prophecy of Daniel, he said it will never die, just as Jesus said in Mark chapter 16. Verse uh, 34 and uh, 35 you continued looking until a stone was cut without hands and it struck the statue on its feet and clay and crushed him but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth this is the kingdom this is the church that we see there this statue was the foretelling of all those great kingdoms that fell just in the same way. In fact, Daniel himself lived through the Babylonian, uh, uh, the fall of the the Babylonian Empire, and the fall of it, he prophesied the Medo-Persian, and he lived through that and, and served under that campaign. And then you go down and you can see step by step how this just follows exactly what the Bible says. So when Jesus said, I will build my church, we need to recognize that today as members of the church, we are following this great tradition, and we need to recognize that this will not die. Individual congregations may fall, may cease to exist, but the church will continue forever and so we see, as we go on, Jesus tells the... Uh, um, we've already dealt with the fact that Jesus tells the, the disciples that he would die and that he would be resurrected uh, three days later, and, and Peter's, Peter's response to that. Uh, and then we see... Uh, Truly, verse 28, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This echoes what we read in Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. And Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it is coming with power. This mirrors the, Just what Jesus, uh, or what the the Bible says earlier, John in Matthew 3, verse 2, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven. The disciples as recorded in Matthew 10, verse 17, and as you go preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We are part of that kingdom now. It's not something we're waiting for to happen. Jesus said, you will not taste death. Some of you guys standing around will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God and when it has come with power. And so we see the power. It's not the power that the world looks for. That's not what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were striving for, the things they could feel, see, taste, touch. But we serve God from the heart because we serve in a spiritual kingdom and we know that this spiritual kingdom will not die. The Bible teaches us how we enter that kingdom. It's through our faith we repent of our sins and we're baptized for the forgiveness of sins. We read that with the birth of the church in Acts chapter two, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. We can see that those people who received the word, they were baptized and they were added that day about 3000 souls. And we read that the Lord was adding daily to their number, adding to the church, those who were saved.